Today what I'd like to do is deliver a message, very, very important on soul winning, but before I begin, let me start with a prayer. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, please mightily anoint me. Please help me, Father, to deliver this exactly the right way that would stir all the people out there that are listening, and please have the right people listen. Folks, this message is on be a soul winner, and if you take this message to heart, your life will be changed, and the lives of others around you will likewise be changed. How to be a soul winner, you're going to find out today. I'm going to give you all kinds of ideas, but there's all kinds of things I need to say about this. Let me lay the groundwork. Listen to this. The precious Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, 37 and 38, he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. That means it's abundant. It's big. There's much to be harvested. There's a lot out there. But the problem is the workers are so few. And he said, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into the harvest field. So, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, please send workers into your harvest field. Raise them up in Jesus' name. All right, now listen to this. In Luke chapter 9, 59 and 60, Jesus said to a man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, now notice that he called him Lord, Lord, First, let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So more important to Jesus than that man burying his own father was for him to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, I find that awesome. That's an amazing truth about the Lord Jesus and about proclaiming the kingdom or spreading the gospel message. Now listen to this. Here's another one. Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them. Now notice, teaching them, that's the disciples that were just made, the new disciples, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So there's a command in these sentences I just read, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. That's to go and make disciples. So even the new disciples are taught to go and make more disciples. That's what Jesus wants. That's his will. Now stop and think about this a moment. Of course, we know Jesus shed his precious holy blood on the cross, his redemptive blood for us. But it's not going to benefit anybody unless people hear about it and they understand it and they find out how to make it personal. It's one thing to have the head knowledge of it, but the devil has come along and he has deceived so many people about what exactly it means to be a Christian and what it means to believe on Jesus. So people need to have things clarified. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we find out that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And we find out there were 120 people in that upper room. There were women besides men. Of the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was even there. So what that says to me, that even Mary needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So that should be an eye-opener for Catholics, because they've been taught a false Mary. But the point is, they needed the Holy Spirit, they needed power, and that was to go and be a witness for Jesus. Now, that's what you need. If you don't have power from God, you need to ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And that's it. Go with the message. Go with the gospel. Now, the sole purpose of being filled with the Holy Spirit based on Acts 1-8 is to have power to witness for Jesus. 
in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, we see a second time that they were filled with the Spirit of God. And it says afterwards, they spoke the Word of God boldly. That is, they spoke it boldly in public, because that's what it's talking about. It's not talking about in their little group in a building. They took the gospel out to the streets, so to speak, out there amidst all the lost people, because Jesus wants all these people to hear and understand what they need to do so they could be saved. Jesus died for them, but they still have to make it personal. They have to personally believe on Jesus for salvation. Now, according to Matthew 28, 18 through 20, which I already cited, we know that all of the new disciples, all of them, were to go and likewise make more disciples. And that included even the women, even female Christians are supposed to spread the gospel. Just a couple days ago, someone called over here and asked me my view on women. And without hesitation, I want everyone to know, I want to say it again, absolutely, positively, there's no question at all. In first century Christianity, everybody, including the women, the female Christians, they all took the gospel to other people. They spread the word of God. I know that already. I already shared it with you, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, but I'm going to give you more in a few minutes. But listen to this. People absolutely, positively must hear that plan of salvation. Now, a lot of people, when they think about the gospel, they go over to 1 Corinthians 15, and that's a great place to go, but nonetheless, they overlook a very key passage to understand the basics of what that is saying and what the Apostle Paul taught, who taught the gospel. In Acts 20, 21, the Apostle Paul said, wherever he went, he preached repentance towards God and faith in Christ Jesus. That's what we need to do. It's one thing to say that you believe Jesus died on a cross, he rose again, or you could ask people that question. A lot of unsaved people will say yes, but they need to repent. They need to put a faith, not the faith of demons, they need to put a faith in Jesus that will follow him, that will submissively do the will of God. And unless they do that, they don't have salvation, even though they would say they believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, I definitely do believe, from my experiences over the decades, that there are more women that are saved than men. But let's just say it's 50-50. Let's say 50% are female and 50% are male. Well, just think the major victory for the devil, if he could somehow shut up the women and stop the women from spreading the gospel message. Imagine 50% of the workforce has immediately been eliminated if people taught that. And if people believe that, and unfortunately, some people do, it's terrible, it's horrible. That's part of the problem in our day. If you're a Christian woman, like being a Christian man, you have that obligation before Almighty God to spread the word. In Acts chapter 7, we read where Stephen was martyred. Right after he got martyred, we find out the very first verse in Acts chapter 8, it says, a great persecution broke out against the church of Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Verse 4, that's Acts 8, verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word everywhere they went. So that means all non-apostles preached the word wherever they went, all of them the so-called ordinary, run-of-the-mill Christian, male and female. They all preach. So this blows away the false idea that only the apostles were commanded to go and preach, or only the preacher supposed to do that. Folks, we're all to preach the gospel. We're all to spread the gospel. That's part of our trust, part of what God wants us to do. So it's crystal clear from Acts chapter 8, Verse 4, in context, 
those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And that included all non-apostle Christians, because the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, everybody else scattered, and all kind of wonderful things happened because they did that. All kind of great, wonderful things, as we would expect. And we see all through the book of Acts, and I'm going to touch on a couple of these verses in a minute or two, but first I want to say something. Not only at the church at Philippi, but also the church at Thessalonica, we find out in both cases, the whole church, all of them, the men and the women, not just the elders, not just the spiritual leaders, they all spoke out the word of life. That's Philippians chapter 2, verse 16, and 1 Thessalonians 1, 8. 1 Thessalonians 1, 8 says, the Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has been known everywhere. It rang out from them. Hallelujah. That's what it's supposed to be with us. The word of God is the ring out. People need to hear it. They must know what the truth is. People just don't know. They don't quite understand it. They're missing it. And the devil has come along, confused it. There's all kind of issues and problems. It's all tangled up and messed up. And that's where you and I come along. We're supposed to get out there and spread that message for the sake of souls. And it's not just for them. It's for us. Because there's a double blessing when you do this. When you're a soul winner, the blessing splashes back on you all the time, regardless what kind of reaction the people have to the word of God going forth. It will always, 100% of the time, be a blessing, and it's success for you all the time. Now, listen to this. I know I'm going to irritate some people. Maybe there's some pastors listening to me. Folks, if you're a pastor, you're to spread that word of God outside that church building. Not just inside that church building. Yes, absolutely. I myself pastored at one time. Even when I was pastoring, I still continued to evangelize. I never stopped evangelizing for decades, for over four decades. I still do it. I'm an old man. I'm still doing this, and I'm going to do it right to my last breath. This is what God wants us to do. That's what the people need to hear, and it comes as natural as could be. Nobody, nobody had to twist my arm. Nobody had to encourage me to do it. It's obvious. All of a sudden, my eyes became open to something wonderfully great. It's true. This is real. Jesus is alive. There's a paradise, but there's also a horrible hellfire. And people need to come to repentance. They need to put their faith in Jesus. They need to be changed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And they don't know how. They don't know what that means. And that's where we come in. And I want to say this right now. Listen to this. The first and second greatest command of all commands. Jesus said the greatest is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is to love your neighbors yourself. I'm going to make a point. I believe, without question, the greatest manifestation of loving your neighbor is to share the gospel with him or her. You know they're lost. You know the wrath of God is on them. You know they're dead in their sins, and they're going to be damned. How can you not reach out to them and try to help them come to salvation? What kind of love is that? That isn't. To be negligent like that, you're going to stand before God. You need to repent. If that's been you, repent. Ask God to forgive you. Ask him to fill you with the Spirit. And go with the ball. When I was a new Christian, I hardly knew anything. I started talking to people about Jesus. I learned and learned and learned and learned, just like driving a car or anything else that you get involved in. It's easy in a day like this. It's a piece of cake now, especially with sound gospel literature. I'm going to get into that in a few minutes. But God wants us to spread the message. But what about angels? Listen to this. It's our responsibility to spread this message. In Acts chapter 10, there was a man named Cornelius. 
Him and his whole household ended up getting saved. But how that happened was first an angel from heaven came down to him and told him where to send to get Peter so Peter could come back and tell him the message about Jesus and faith in Jesus to get his sins forgiven. And it's not until you get to Acts 11, 13 and 14 that you find out that that angel wanted Peter to come with a message that Cornelius and his whole household would come to salvation. Now, have you ever asked yourself this question? Why didn't that angel just tell Cornelius? Why didn't the angel do it? Folks, they're not allowed to do it at this moment. That's our job. That's our responsibility. We have to do it. That's part of the battle. We got to get the gospel out. People need to hear. Now, there's in the future, in Revelation 14, there's going to be one of the three angels that's going to preach the eternal gospel. But at that point in time, the night has come that no man can labor. Jesus spoke of that time, John chapter 9, verse 4. And that's during the days of the Antichrist. And that's when that angel, because no man's going to be doing it then, the angel was preaching. There's one, two, three angels declaring a message. But right now, we are to do it. The angels of God cannot do that. So we got to run with the ball. We got to do it. Remember, the harvest is great. It's plentiful. It's abundant. But the laborers are few. Now listen to this. What about the Christian's judgment? What about your judgment? What is your judgment going to be like? In Jesus' teaching called the parable of the talents, sometimes I have referred to it in the past as his 5 to one teaching because he gave five talents to one, two to another, and one to a different one. Five, two, and one. Well, in Matthew 25, 14 to 15, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who calls his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Then we come down to verse 19, Matthew 25, verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. So they had to account for what they were entrusted with, with God's property, with those talents. You might be wondering, I wonder what that is. What is that for me? I can guarantee one thing. One of the things you have been entrusted with is the gospel. You have been told to spread that gospel and to protect that gospel message. And I don't care who you are, man or woman, if you're a Christian, it goes with the territory. You are to do that. This is vital and not just for you. For other people. And it's not just for your judgment day. Now listen to this. This is Romans 6 verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. Very clearly right here, Romans 6 17. The whole church at Rome, they were all entrusted with a teaching. Now, of course, we know that to be the gospel itself. We're all entrusted with it. It doesn't make any difference if you didn't know it. You know it now. You have been entrusted with the gospel message. It isn't just for the big-time TV preacher. It's not just for somebody that wrote 25 books. It's for every single Christian. Man and woman, we need to break it down, simplify and take it to people because they just don't know. A lot of people have been discouraged and disgusted in this dark apostate day, they don't even know what real Christianity is. Then we come over to Jude, verses 3 and 4, and we find out something else about this trust. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about this salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have slipped in among you, they are godless men who change the grace of God into a license for immorality 
and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. So very clearly here again, we read the word entrusted, and this time it shows we are to protect the gospel. We're to protect it from grace changers especially. And the grace changers that really have the platform now, these are the people that are commonly known as the Calvinists or the once saved, always saved teachers, the eternal security teachers. So it's saying right here that we need to tell people, and I tell them right up front, when I'm evangelizing, if anybody shows any interest, if they even seem possibly that like they might be a Christian, I tell them right away, there is no once saved, always saved. Sometimes they'll agree, sometimes they'll disagree. So what I do, depending upon the circumstances, and it's hard to say what it's going to be. It might be the weather, it might be they're in a rush, it might be I'm in a rush. Whatever it might be, I try to carry an assortment of gospel tracts with me. And if I find out that person is a once saved, always saved proponent, I have literature on me that counters that, that refutes that heresy. And it needs to be combated because that's not the grace of God. That's a counterfeit grace. And again, that's one of the ways the devil has confused things. He has attacked grace. People don't even know what grace is in our day. They think grace is eternal security when it isn't. That's not grace. That's the counterfeit grace. The real grace of God teaches us to live holy and clean before him. Not a license for sin, not a license for immorality. So we're to spread the gospel and protect the gospel. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 4, Paul wrote, On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts entrusted with the gospel. That's not just the apostle Paul and his co-laborers. That's you. If you're a Christian, I'm speaking to you. When I got ordained, I delivered my ordination sermon on soul winning. After I got done preaching on soul winning, a woman called me up to tell me she was not called to be a soul winner. Shocking unbelievable. I laid it out like I am right now. I can't remember everything I taught then, but the essence surely had to be some overlap to what I already said. And she missed it. Maybe she wanted to miss it. Maybe she just didn't want to do it. God forbid that's you. Because one day before almighty God, you're going to be judged. And that is one of the things that you're going to have to account for. But it's not just the gospel. It's your opportunities, it's your time, it's your money, it's your knowledge, it's your God-given abilities. Some people have a lot more opportunity to bring forth fruit than other people, but all Christians, we have been entrusted with a message, the plan of salvation, which we should all readily know. I mean, after all, for Christians, we should know how we became Christians. We have to repent. We have to turn from our idols that were dragging us to hell. We have to look to Jesus. We have to put a faith in him to follow him and to do the will of the Father. That's the only way. So we should all be able to speak that out. If you can tell somebody anything, if you can tell them what the weather report was or anything else that you might have heard, you certainly should be able to tell them how to become a Christian because that's the greatest, most important thing that could ever happen to anyone and it happened to you if you're a Christian. So we need to spread this message, and we need to know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the devil will attack the message of grace. One of the things, one of the descriptions of the gospel itself is the gospel of grace. Well, once saved, always saved is a counterfeit grace message, but that's not all. But first of all, before I move on to some of the others, I want to tell you this. Galatians 5, 2 through 4 clearly says that we can fall from grace to the place where Christ is of no value at all. That's not their grace, but that is the true grace, the saving grace that the Bible speaks of. Also, with all the Catholics around, their understanding of grace is Mary is the mediatrix and dispenser of all grace. And they also say that grace comes through the sacraments. 
Folks, that's not true. We get in grace by our faith in Jesus, according to Romans chapter 5, verse 2. Mary has nothing to do with it. Now, I said something before that's very important about your trust, what it's going to be like on Judgment Day, at least in part. But listen to this. There's more to it. It says in Ezekiel chapter 3. Now, before I finish the sentence, the Apostle Paul, in the book of Acts, understood that to be applicable to Christians and applicable to himself. Ezekiel 3, 18 and 19. When I say to a wicked man, you will surely die, but you do not warn him or speak out to dissuade him from his evil ways in order to save his life. That wicked man will die for a sin. I will hold you accountable for his blood. But if you warn the wicked man and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his evil ways, he will die for a sin, but you will have saved yourself. Talking about saving yourself from blood guilt. And then the next two verses, Ezekiel chapter 3, 20 and 21. Again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and does evil, and I put a stumbling block before him, he will die. Since you did not warn him, he will die for a sin. The righteous things he did will not be remembered. I will hold you accountable for his blood. But if you warn the righteous man not to sin... And he does not sin, he will surely live because he took warning, and you will save yourself. So we're to warn everybody about the dangers of sin. The godly people need a warning. Stay pure. Do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. It's what Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy 5.22. We find out in a synagogue at Corinth, the Jews opposed Paul. They became abusive. He shook his clothes out in protest, and he said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clear from my responsibility. How could he say he's clear of his responsibility? Because he shared the gospel. He reasoned from the scriptures. He warned them. He tried to turn them to the way of life. But that's not the truth for many people. Many people that profess to be Christians aren't doing that. They're doing nothing. They're negligent. Folks, listen. You might be the best chance, the only chance, and even the last chance that some people have that you will encounter during the week to ever escape damnation and get into the paradise. It's up to you to spread the word. you got to try to do it. And don't allow the devil to hold you back. Spread the word. This is very important. This is vitally important. This is what Jesus wants. Remember what he said. He put proclaiming the kingdom of God above that man burying his own father. Now here's the major key to understand how unsaved people think. And this was really me until I started to read the Bible. And then when I started to read the Bible, my eyes started to open up. But it says in Psalm 36, 1 and 2, An oracle was within my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For in his own eyes he flatters himself too much to detect or hate a sin. So they can't even detect their own sin. They don't even know they're in sin. And they surely don't hate it because when you realize what kind of spiritual condition you're in before Almighty God, that his wrath is abiding on you, that you're really a child of the devil on the road to eternal damnation, you're going to learn to hate that sin. And that thing is dragging you to the same place. Jesus said, it's better for you to gouge your eye out, cut your hand and foot off, rather than for you to be thrown into hell fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So avoid hell at all costs. But they don't know they're in a condition like that. So you need to help them. Now, if you have sound gospel literature, that helps, especially when there's so many people in this busy day, they're not going to give you five minutes or often even one minute. You might have ten seconds with the person. I use gospel literature all the time. I hand it out continuously. I've been like that for decades. And especially, I want people to know 
that they're unrighteous, they're wicked, based on their sin. And I don't think there's a better passage than 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexual, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. So not only does it show that they're wicked, but it shows the remedy. Jesus is the remedy. Hallelujah. He's the remedy, the one and only remedy, the sure remedy. But there's another great passage. In fact, there's several others I'll give you. Revelation 21.8 is powerful as well. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murders, the sexually immoral, those who practice the magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place are going to be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. They're not going to paradise. They're going to go to a lake, a burning lake, not a lake of water on fire but a lake of sulfur on fire. But Jesus said, Matthew 5, 28 through 30, he spoke of the dangers of mental adultery, which is very important in this lustful porn world that we live in. But probably the most important and powerful passage, especially combating the damnable heresy, the lie from the devil, the devil doctrine, Ephesians 5, 5 through 7. For this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient, therefore do not be partners with them. The essence of once saved, always saved, and eternal security is there are Christian adulterers. There are Christian drunks. There are Christian thieves, Christian criminals, Christian child molesters, Christian homosexuals. But the Bible says, no, don't be deceived. They don't exist. There's not even one of them. And this passage right here is so powerful and so clear written to the same group that Paul said were saved by grace and sealed by the Holy Spirit. So people misunderstand what that is. Remember, grace is under attack. People don't know. They're not reading the Bible. You're going to have to explain it to them. You're going to have to show them what the true grace of God is that they can fall from. That will give them power to live holy. So the unsaved need to know they're hell-bound. They don't have a chance and therefore, they need a Savior. And of course, that's where the Lord Jesus comes in. Now listen to this illustration. I've used it many a time. It's excellent. And this will help you explain to people how to have Jesus as your own personal Lord and Savior. Oftentimes, I encounter people like that. I say it like this. Let's say you and I were out in a desert dying of thirst. If someone brought a pitcher of water to us, we could both say, yes, I believe that's water, but it's not going to do either one of us any good unless we personally receive it for ourselves. Well, Jesus died for us. He died for our sins, but we need him as our own personal Lord and Savior. We've got to be personal with the Lord Jesus. He has to be our own personal Lord and Savior. So then they wonder, well, well, how can I do that? How do I get him to be my own personal Lord and Savior? Well, to have him as your own personal Lord and Savior, what you need to do is to cry out to God for mercy. You need to go to God for forgiveness. You need to commit to Jesus. You have to turn from your sins. And when you look to Jesus, when you put your faith in him to follow him, now you're going to follow him. All of a sudden now, you're following him. Your, your faith is in him. That's when you make it personal. That's how you benefit by what he did on the cross. And you do it unashamedly. You follow him unashamedly because if you're ashamed of him, he'll be ashamed of you. So when you spread the word of God to everybody you can, please understand this. Many good things are going to happen. There's all kind of wonderful things that occur. Now, of course... 1 Peter 1.23 says people are born again by the word of God. James 1.18 says the spiritual birth from God comes from the word of truth. 
But that's not all. If a person, if a Christian craves the Word of God, they'll grow. And we are told we're sanctified by the Word of God. John 17, 17. And the Word of God is at work in us who believe. 1 Thessalonians 2, 13. And the Word of God will build up even spiritual leaders. Acts chapter 20, verse 32. But Jesus said, Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So that we need all of it. You need it. I need it. It's a constant thing. Now, when Jesus gave what we commonly know to be the parable of the sower, in Luke chapter 8, verse 12, we learn something very important. The Bible says, those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. Again, Luke 8, 12. So the devil steals the word from their heart, from the heart of the unbeliever, so that unbeliever won't become a believer and become a Christian. So the enemy doesn't want the word of God to be spread, but God does. The devil doesn't. God does. So who have you been obeying? If you're not spreading the word, somehow, someway, the enemy got an advantage over you. He has stopped you from doing the very thing that you have been entrusted with and that people need. And they're going to hell over because they don't know. And you can do it. Folks, when I started to hand out tracts and talk to people about Jesus, my understanding of the Bible was almost nothing. I knew almost nothing. But I learned, and I grew. And it will be the same way with you. Chances are you know a whole lot more than I did when I first started to go. The Apostle Paul said he planted the seed, Apollos watered it, and God made it grow. And then he went on and he said, the person that plants or the person that waters is nothing. It's only God who makes it grow. So when you spread the word of God, you're not only planting seed. Maybe you're watering somebody else's seed. But that's the will of God. That's what he wants you to do. And not only that, when you go out and you spread the word of God, when you're obedient to do what God wants you to do, you will not only open eyes, you will also close eyes. The Apostle Paul was sent forth by the Lord Jesus to open eyes. Isaiah was sent to close eyes. And they both did it the same way with the Word of God. So success is simple obedience to spreading the Word of God and obeying. Even though people reject the Word, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the truth, the Word of God. They're rejecting Jesus. And if they reject Jesus, Jesus said they reject the Father. Luke 10, 16. But that's what he said. you got to know that. So don't take it personal. If people don't want to hear about Jesus, they don't want the gospel track. It's not you. They're rejecting Jesus. So i got two quick questions I want to ask you. Now listen to this. If all Christians everywhere were just as faithful and just as zealous as you are to spread the gospel to the lost, would there be more or less people in hell today if they were all like you? The second question, if the tables were turned and you're no longer a Christian, you're now on the road to hell like you were before you repented, before you committed to follow Jesus, to faithfully follow him, to take up your cross daily and do the will of God. Before that time, when you were yet a child of the devil, would you have wanted someone to try to dissuade you from the damnation that was awaiting you, trying to get you to repent and put your faith in Jesus? Or would you just want that person to ignore you, just to walk right on by and let you go on your merry way? Well, how can you do that? Wasn't that long ago, probably about one month ago, I had my bright hoodie on. I was inside of a grocery store. A man saw me about 10 or 15 yards away, and he came shooting over to me. I could tell that he wanted to talk about God. He came over, he did. He spent a few couple minutes talking about God, but you could really see what was of interest to him. It was something 
Apparently, he must have thought that was more important. You'll never guess what it was. He wanted to talk about a flat earth. Imagine that. The guy believes the earth is flat, and that's what he wanted to talk about. It don't make any difference if the earth is flat. Folks, forget about that. Spread the message of Jesus. That's what the people need. Don't waste time like that. There's a lot of things that you could talk about that really doesn't amount to anything. We're to spread the message. Listen to this. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So when did that happen? After the word of God was spread. After the word of God was spread. One of Paul's prayers, 2 Thessalonians 3, 1. Finally, brother, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was with you. Oh, that should be part of our prayers, that the word of the Lord would spread rapidly. But is it spreading at all with you? Is anything happening? What are you doing? Peter and John was returning from Samaria to go back to Jerusalem. And as they returned, what were they doing? Well, Acts 8:25. Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. So as they traveled, they spread the word of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And it's so easy in this high-tech day. Somebody just asked me. It was within the last couple of days. He says, what about modern technology? Absolutely. Use all this modern technology, every bit of it, to spread the word of God as far and as wide as you can. Yes, yes, yes. Get it out. Just yesterday, there was a problem I had. I contacted someone over the phone. We worked through it. Then afterwards, I got a phone call, a survey about the kind of service I got. So I had one minute to go ahead and sum up some things, so I told them the most important thing. I didn't talk too much about the service with them, which I had already commented on. I went ahead and told them that they need Jesus, they need to repent, and I read over the phone on that recorded line, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. So that's a hint. That's giving you an idea what you also can do. And folks, listen, I mentioned Bible tracts, gospel tracts. There's other ways to spread the word of God, too. You could do it with bumper stickers. That's Bible-based bumper stickers, signs of any kind, including billboards if you can rent one, or handwritten letters. You can wear a bright-colored gospel shirt or a hoodie with the word of God on it. You can wear a hat with the message of the Bible on it. Your phone message, you could have a message when, no, when you're not home, somebody calls, they're going to hear about Jesus. In your email signature, when you write somebody, you could have the word of God there. You can get newspaper articles, you could spread it that way. In our day over the internet, you could do it that way, over the radio. And be creative, there's many other ways you could do it as well. Well, the Apostle Paul, oh, hallelujah for the Apostle Paul. What a servant of God the Apostle Paul was. Wrote one half of the books of the New Testament. He was caught up into heaven. That man was unstoppable. He was like a bulldozer, a tank, going forth with the word of God. Nine times early in his ministry, he shed his blood. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four and 25. You could verify that for yourself. So what did this man have to say? How did he describe himself? What was he all about? Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 10.33. I try to please everybody in every way. I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so they may be saved. And he got beat, spent time in jail. They stoned him and drug him out of Lystra. And he did it for people to get saved. But how did he do that? He reasoned from the scriptures, spreading the message of Jesus. Oh, folks, we need to be aggressive. We need to take the word. In John chapter 4 
at Jacob's well, Jesus was aggressive. He took the initiation to speak to the woman that came. And it started a conversation. That's where you're going to have to be. You're going to have to be aggressive, but be polite, be kind, be nice to the people, but be aggressive. Approach them with the word of God. Give them the truth. And one of the reasons why I like gospel tracts, because people are so busy, they're not going to give you much time. If you could get a gospel tract in their hand, at their convenience, they'll read it. But not only that, when they get that tract, it will never forget important spiritual points. Never. And they can also verify with their own Bible, because the Bible references there, what you're trying to say. And not only that, they could read it many times. They could pass it on to others, and they could also make copies of it. Oh, I'm a firm believer in sound Bible-based gospel tracts, but many tracts out there I wouldn't give one penny for. They're garbage, they're a waste, they're poison. And if they don't teach repentance, and if they have eternal security in it, throw it in the garbage. And if it comes from some kind of ministry or some kind of group that would even give free gospel literature, don't use it if that ministry promotes eternal security. Don't do it. And folks, at this point, I've got to tell you, you can print out free gospel tracts yourself from my website, eomin.org. Go to the homepage. Right in the middle of the top of the homepage, there's a search bar. Type in print free tracks, and a listing will come up. The top one, you click on that link, you'll go over to a page, and there's a wide variety of different things you could print out in the privacy of your own home, as many as you want. You can have them printed, but if you want in bulk, you can order bulk. And folks, I'll give you a deal that'll shock you. You can't buy some of these tracks that I have out there at the price that you can buy them off of my website. They're so low already. But if you're buying, especially in large numbers, I'll even give you a better price. But I'm not here promoting any kind of tracks, including my own. I'm here trying to spread the message of the Bible and for you to get busy. The harvest is great. The labors are few. You got to get out there. Jesus told us to go. The apostle Paul witnessed the people that were never saved, but he also taught, he strengthened, encouraged, warned, and even rebuked people that were saved to walk holy and not to believe false teachings and not to give up sowing to please the spirit so they will reap eternal life. So all it comes right back around to the word over and over and over and over again. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. Notice, they were aggressive. They went in there, and they spoke the message that caused them to believe on Jesus. That's what we're to do. Oh, the apostle Paul was really something. And when you're really something, all kind of things are going to happen around you. There's going to be a commotion. At Thessalonica, Acts chapter 17, there was a riot at Thessalonica. So at nighttime, they left for Berea and Paul and Silas and Timothy. But then also, believe it or not, right after the riot at Thessalonica, there was a commotion from the same group that followed over to Berea, the apostle Paul, hearing that he was there, causing a commotion over there. So Silas and Timothy stayed there at Berea, and the apostle Paul went alone to Athens. So when he got over to Athens all by himself, what was he doing? Was he twirling his thumbs, waiting for Silas and Timothy to come? No. It says, Acts 17, 16, and 17. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly disturbed to see the, the city full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. So he went in the synagogue all alone, went in the marketplace all alone, and because he was out in the marketplace, philosophers came to him, and that opened up a door for him to go into the Areopagus all alone. He was by himself. 
spreading the word. Many times in the Old Testament, you'll see where prophets, they were all alone. In the New Testament, you'll see where Stephen and Philip, they traveled alone at times. They witnessed alone. That's you. That's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to witness oftentimes alone. So how could Paul be such a fanatic? How could Paul be so single-minded? How could it be a constant fireball? Our folks, his eyes were opened. That's the man that had the revelation of one half of the books of the New Testament. He said of himself in Philippians 1.7, For whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. So what did Paul do? He confirmed the gospel. He defended the gospel. You're to spread the gospel. You're to protect the gospel. Even if you're a female, even if you're an ordinary Christian, quote unquote. And I said even if you're a female only for one reason, because so many people battle that idea that women shouldn't say anything. They just need to be quiet and shut up. No! If you're a Christian, go with the gospel. Spread it as far and as wide as you can. Don't be silent. Acts chapter 18, verse 9. Acts 18, 9. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. The Lord Jesus wanted Paul. Keep speaking. Do not be silent. That's what he wants from you. He wants you to speak out the word of God. Get that out as far and as wide as you can. Folks, people are going to hell. And like I said before, you might be their last hope, their only hope of escaping damnation. And if you don't reach them, they'll be damned. You got to do it. You got to be obedient. You got to do what Jesus said. You got to take that gospel. And even though Jesus shed his precious holy blood on that cross, it's not benefiting multitudes because they don't know how to make it personal. They don't know what repentance is. They don't know to believe on Jesus means to obey him, to have a submissive faith. Somehow, some way, the devil got them deceived. That's where you come in. You got to try. You got to do it. You got to fight. Pray for strength. Ask God for wisdom. Ask God for boldness. Like I said, come over to the website, eomin.org. You can get free tracks. And if you need free tracks, if you're too poor to, to pay for the tracks, but you want to go evangelizing, I'll send some to you.